Well, good morning and welcome everyone. It's really an exciting day today. Uh, not only do we have a very special guest, Dr. Carl Eastlack, who is our district superintendent, but we get to end all your suspense today. <laughs> so um, before I bring Dr. Carl up though, I kind of want to just brag on him and thank him. Without him, this entire process would have been extremely difficult. He has been really the foundation for the board, for the staff, for all of us to turn to, to ask questions. He has been an immense support. So I would like this morning if you would join me in a thank you and a welcome for Dr. Carl this morning. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It's a blessing to be back with you all. And uh, for those of you that I haven't met yet, uh, I'm the district superintendent. My office is right out by your car on your way out today. Just wave at my office there. We're on the other side of the parking lot. Uh, the Northeast District of the Westland Church has 118 congregations that are meeting this morning all over the eight states of the Northeast. So these are your uh, sisters and brothers in Christ that are gathering in worship under some in easy circumstances, some in rather difficult circumstances. A few of them are still only doing online. Most of our churches in the metro New York City area are still only gathering online. New York City was hit hard, you know, they were, they were hit hard early. And so they have memories and they have PTSD in my opinion. And so we're giving those churches a lot of grace uh, to work out together what it means to begin to gather again. But I am so grateful to God for the technology of the internet that has enabled us to be able to stay connected even in the hardest of times where early on we weren't able to gather. I also appreciate the worship team this morning and what they've done here uh, today in stepping up and the sound and, and techies in the church and your board and your staff, the way that each one has stepped up in this transition time. Transitions are never easy and I so appreciate those they say, how can I help? And they take their gifts and their passions and they pour them into the church because the good news is that no matter who any pastor is at any particular moment, the church of Jesus always has a future. And we're excited about that today. And uh, the board has asked if I would bring you uh, some good news this morning uh, from the vote that you did uh, last week when you listened uh, to and you met uh, Pastor Christopher and Tammy Baldwin and their two boys. They loved the time together with you for the whole weekend. There were different places that they were meeting, different ones of you. And then Sunday morning, they just thoroughly enjoyed being here. They found it such a blessing to be able to worship with you and to hear not only what God has done, but what you anticipate God going to be doing in the future. And so with a 97% positive vote, you have selected Pastor Christopher Baldwin as your next pastor for your congregation. And I'm grateful, I'm thrilled about that for you. I had the privilege of calling Christopher. He's a longtime friend of mine, and I had the privilege, I call him CB, so it was my privilege to be able to uh, tell him the good news. And uh, I said, so take your time, you and Tammy, have a whole week to be able to uh, let us know until next Sunday. So pray about it. So about 20 minutes later, he called me back. <laughs> he says, well, we prayed, and God said yes. So uh, that's how I've known. So I've been sitting on that news for all week, waiting to be here this morning. But I do want to read to you a very short letter that Pastor Baldwin has sent to you today. Dear Trinity Wesleyan Church, last week you gave me the opportunity to share of how God always has a plan. God is always with us and how God has great purpose for us. With the vote last Sunday, you extended an invitation to our family to join you following God's plan and fulfilling God's great purpose for Trinity. 
We are delighted to share with you that we accept the invitation and are excited to see what God unfolds in the days and years to come. The vision of Trinity Wesleyan Church is to reach 1% of the Lehigh Valley with the love of Jesus Christ, and our family looks forward to joining the attenders and the leadership here at Trinity in daily working toward the fulfillment of that vision. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is immeasurably able to do more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that's work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Will you please join me in praying this prayer over Trinity in the Lehigh Valley? That's Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. They're going to claim that those two verses, so if you'll uh, remember that and pray that in your daily prayers. We know that God can and does answer prayer. We know that God can do even far more than we could ever pray for or even imagine. May our expectations for the future be the same as what God has in mind for us. We also covet your prayers during the transition in the next chapter for our family and in the church. May God receive all the glory, fill us with his hope, lead us in his love, every blessing. Pastor Christopher, Tammy, Josh, and Jared. The boys loved the Lehigh Valley. The whole family fell in love with it when they came down to visit the few times that they were here. And uh, so with that in mind, I do want to also make a special announcement that between Pastor Baldwin and the board, they've agreed that his start date is going to be Sunday, June 6th, two Sundays from now. And it's very exciting. He is so excited to come down that he's going to come down for the, a long weekend, each weekend, until their family can move with him. He'll go back and forth between here and Buffalo, New York, where they currently live. And so I thank you for accommodating uh, them so well and loving on them so well. Uh, their family is very excited to, to be here. Are, can we have the lights up for the congregation, please? Is that uh, how, how easy is that to do? I'd like to take a moment and just spend some time praying together this morning. I know that we're... Uh, we're not just anybody, we're, we're, we're Christians, but at the very basic level, we're human beings. We live in a fallen world, our bodies are fallen bodies, our, our relationships are broken relationships, our, our uh, finances can be broken. I mean, there's all kinds of things. As long as we live in this world that's broken, we find ourselves uh, in need. And the Bible says, come to Christ and cast all your care on him because he cares for you, the Bible says. So I thought this morning we could just take a moment before we go to the Word of God together and just, uh, just ask the Lord for what it is that's on our hearts today. So I don't know what burden you're carrying this morning when you came to church. I'm guessing that some of you carried a little, little tiny briefcase of burden. Some of you drug a big suitcase behind you today of burdens that you're carrying. But just by a raised hand, you just say, Pastor, will you remember me this morning in prayer as you pray your prayer? Anybody out there? No, sure. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I want to thank you this morning for the gracious way in which you look upon us. Lord God, for me, with all my warts and problems, with all my sin, with all my mistakes, with all my daily failures, you still call me your son, and I'll never forget that. There is a love that you have for us today that is bigger and deeper and wider than all of the mistakes and errors and sins. And you draw us to you yet even today here in your house to be able to come as real people in order to be able to come to the real God that enables us to live each day. 
The Father, on top of our own foibles, adds to it just the burdens of life, the relationships that have been damaged, the physical bodies that have been pummeled by disease, uh, the, the, the psyche that's been damaged by fear or paralysis, the burdens that we carry for the end of the school year, Lord, and for families and for our young people and as they face the end of a, a very odd school year. The need of this church, Lord, for its next pastor. All of these things together, we know that when placed in your hands, the most wonderful things happen. So thank you for answering our prayers for our next pastor with Pastor Baldwin and his family. We do ask your blessing upon them as they transition, Lord. Give them your favor and your grace and help them, Lord, to quickly and easily just fall in love with this community here. We welcome them. But Lord, thank you also that when we walk out of the sanctuary today, we walk out as people still with the burdens of life, but the burdens have been put in your hand and we can trust you. So Lord Jesus, you, the one that invited us to cast our cares upon you, we do that today. We name them in our hearts and in our heads today. These are the things that can make us weary and frustrated and angry and disappointed. But Lord, today might all of those other emotions be overshadowed by the one wonderful emotion we get from you, which is hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And we claim this prayer and the answers to these prayers as ones from your will, may it be done on earth as your will is being done in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. amen. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on Facebook watching, uh, reading through some of my friends' posts and particular friends that I have, they're in their middle 40s. I hadn't seen them for quite a while. It's been since before COVID. And uh, I saw on fa Facebook that she had just delivered that morning twins. They're in their mid-40s. Did I say that yet? <laughs> they kept it hidden from all but family all those months. In fact, they didn't even tell their parents uh, on, if they're still alive. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> until Christmas time. and said, guess what? In five months, we're going to have babies with an S on the end. And they had them. Have you ever had a day in your life that changes everything after that? They've just experienced one. You did too, the first time you had a baby. If you've had children, right? The very, the very first child, I mean, it just changes everything. It changes the way you think about money and about life and about, uh, about your own skills. It shakes you up. I remember as a dad when I held my, my son for the first time, it was, I just thought, I'm not ready for this. All of a sudden, I felt very inadequate, but I knew that from that day on, everything was going to be changing. Your wedding day. Right? I mean, you, you, you say those wonderful words, and how many weddings have I presided over where I, you know, here I'm giving one of my best sermons to them, and I'm really looking me in the eye, and I'm telling them they're not hearing a word I'm saying. I can just tell they're, they're just so focused on, oh my goodness, what have I gotten into? That's him. She's saying, this is the sweetest day, isn't he, oh, Mr. Wonderful? And, but everything is different uh, after that. The day that you got your driver's license, didn't, wasn't your life very different after that? You know, I mean, so there are some days where that day is at what we call a tipping point, that nothing really is the same after that day. Did you know that today 
Today, this Sunday, this morning, is the day that changed everything for the Church of Jesus Christ and for people who are followers of God. It's called Pentecost Sunday. The word Pentecost is taken from the Greek word which means 50th. And it means 50 days after Easter time, after Passover and Easter weekend that we celebrated a bit ago. Yes, it's been 50 days since then already. 50 days later, later the, the Jewish people celebrated what was called the Feast of Pentecost, but for the church, the young church at that time, Jesus had not yet gone back to heaven. For, for almost 50 days, he had been around his people, his disciples. He had been sharing with them since his resurrection, um, all kinds of wonderful things and talking with them and continuing to teach them. And then in the beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 1, he gathers with them one final time before he ascends back to heaven. And he says to them, I'm going to be uh, going away. And they said, well, is this when you're going to make your kingdom known? And they're all excited about it because if you remember back in the scriptures, they would argue over who was going to sit on the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in his new kingdom and all of that. They just anticipated that his kingdom was going to overthrow the Roman kingdom. And up until the first chapter of Acts, that's still what they felt, that even when he said that I'm about to, to go back, they said, great, is this the time that your kingdom is going to be established? And he said to them, listen, you, you, you really have to get this. You really have to understand all the three years I've been with you, this teaching about what my kingdom is. It's a kingdom of the heart. At this time, it's not going to be a, a kingdom in this world that's going to be a, a geographic kingdom with boundaries and all of that. And he said, what I want you to do, because you don't quite get it yet, what I want you to do is that I want you to tarry here in Jerusalem, and I want you to hang out. Don't leave. Don't depart. Don't go out yet, but stay here until I pour out my Holy Spirit upon you. And then he says in Acts 1.8, he said, and then after that, You'll be able to be my witnesses, and he names places. He gets very specific. Jerusalem, that's a city. Judea, which is the region that Jerusalem's in, the region of Israel. Samaria, which is a hard place, which is where half Jews lived. They had to live in the, it was kind of the slums, if you will, of Israel. They had to live there. So even there. And then he said, all the way to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses, but don't do anything until I send you the Holy Spirit. Hence the day of Pentecost. It was on the day of Pentecost. They were on that day. They were in a, a room on the second floor of a house, and there were about 120 of them there. And I love the way that the Bible describes it. You have to appreciate that it's not just men up there. You would think that it was just kind of the religious men in Jesus' day. No, there were a ton of women there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. It was really a wonderful thing. They were praying, and they were singing, and they were praising God. And right in the middle of all that is when Jesus decides to pour out upon them, into their hearts, into their minds, the Holy Spirit that they had not had before. Now, the Holy Spirit has always been, you can't separate out the Trinity, the Holy Spirit's always been at work ever since the very beginning of creation. We know that the Holy Spirit cooperated with the Son and the Father to make all things happen and all through the Old Testament. But typically, the Holy Spirit, up until the day of Pentecost, was an external force. Every once in a while, the Holy Spirit would come upon one person so that they would be a prophet for him or something like that. But nobody had the Spirit indwelling in them until that day of Pentecost, 
50 days after the resurrection of Christ. And I call that the day that made all the difference because it's the day, happy birthday, that the church was born. It was the day, no day before that, were people of God called Christians. No day before that was there something called the church. Jesus began the church on that very first Pentecost Sunday after his resurrection. And so congratulations and happy birthday. Here we are 2,000 years later, still trying to flesh out in real time what it means to be the church of Jesus. In fact, I'm convinced that every generation has had to kind of figure that out as we went along. You just can't inherit it. There is a sense of inheriting the, the, the process, but you need to own it because every generation has its own context in which it's going to be the church, not unlike you and I today. And I thought, what a wonderful day to make the announcement of your new pastor on Pentecost Sunday, the day of new beginnings, the day where it's different from what it was prior to that. And these are exciting days still even for the Church of Jesus in the midst of the pandemic as we're starting to kind of get a feel for what it might be like to come out of the pandemic as soon as Dr. Fauci says we can. You know, we, <laughs> we, we're at a place where we, we're not even sure what the church is going to look like. We're not even sure what our culture is going to look like. We're not sure what our school systems are going to look like. We're not sure what our medical facilities are going to be all running about, our government, all kinds of things. We're in this in-between. Uh, it's called, by the way, uh, sociologists call this space liminal space, an interesting phrase. It means that, uh, space that's in between what was and what will be. That's called that liminal space, a scary space to be, isn't it? Because we still haven't quite figured out yet what it's going to be like post-pandemic, even as the church. So my question was, as I dug around, as I read through the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, answer my own question, what happened that day of Pentecost? What was different when that day of Pentecost came? And this is where we pick up the story. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 this morning, starting at verse 1. The words are up on the screen for you to look at. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filling the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So the context in which the Holy Spirit fell upon that first group of Christians. The context was it was on a feast weekend when people, Jewish people, came back to Jerusalem from all over the world in order to celebrate this feast of Pentecost. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Galilean, the Galilee region, is in the northern part of Israel, and it was the uh, rural part of Israel, and so the, they, there's, that's a little bit of a dig. Aren't these the farmers? Aren't these farmers here in our city? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? The question was, how can these farmers speak multiple languages? We didn't know they could. They're uneducated. They're unlearned. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, well, they've had too much wine. The world will never quite fully understand your relationship with Jesus. You know that, don't you? They'll try to make up reasons for why you are the way you are or act the way you are. Maybe you're a drunkard. Maybe you're having a nervous breakdown. Maybe you've joined a cult. A lot of things people say when they're trying to figure out what they're struggling to figure out. Pentecost Sunday was the day that made the church the church. What was forever different from that day on? The first thing I noticed when I read the book of Acts is that they had a new mission. Up till then, the followers of Christ had a mission, or so they thought. They had joined him as what was called the Messiah. Now, Jesus was not alone in that. There were many messiahs that came and went, and they all ended up getting killed. By the way, so did Jesus. Messiahs routinely came, and they were always people who said, I'm going to deliver you from captivity under the Romans. The Romans own you, Jews. I'm going to save you from the Romans. And so when Jesus comes along and people start following him, they anticipate that he is in the long line of others who have said, I'm going to start a new kingdom. They all said the same thing. They're going to start a new kingdom. And so they thought that their mission was to somehow exalt Jesus in the public's eye in order to make him the king of whatever this new kingdom is going to be that's going to overthrow the Roman government. And so even on, and they still didn't even understand what his death was all about. And so when they, at the beginning of that week, when we talk about Palm Sunday, that whole Sunday was about bringing Jesus in on a donkey, and they were out in front of him. His disciples were out in front of him receiving all the adulation of the crowd for them and for Jesus because this was the era of the new kingdom. This is now, this week maybe, is going to be the revolting week where they get to help overthrow the government of Rome. They still weren't comprehending it, so they thought all this time that their mission was about this earthly kingdom that was going to be just the same as other earthly kingdoms. And so in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus says, you know, look, don't worry about that stuff. I want you to worry about the kind of people that you're going to be in my new kingdom. It's interesting that he assigns them a new mission. And this mission is to be his witnesses. To be his witnesses. This morning at 7 o'clock, our denomination, the Wesleyan Church, had a Pentecost Sunday one-hour presentation online with Wesleyans participating from all over the world. It was a prayer gathering, and there were stories and testimonies of what God has done in people's lives from Japan, from Africa, from Azerbaijan, and from all across the United States. It was a beautiful one hour spent. It's going to be replayed tonight at 7 o'clock. If you'd like to watch it, it's on wesleyan.org, and you can click on it for 7 o'clock tonight and just absorb the worship that happens and the stories that are told. But it was amazing to me to listen because the stories that were told basically were stories that said, this is what I was like before I met Jesus. And this is what I'm like since I've met Jesus. What difference has he made? For those original disciples and the 120 people in that upper room, 
the basic thing that made a difference for them was they were assigned a new mission. It finally came clear. And you'll see it in the book of Acts. You'll see the rest of the book of Acts, how that actually works out. They're no longer um, focused and locked on this idea of starting a, a new geographic kingdom. The whole shift of the way they talk to people and the way that they interacted with people changes after that. Not only did they have a new mission, but they actually became new people. To give you an example, if you were to read through the four Gospels and follow the life of Peter through the four Gospels, the four Gospels were pre-Pentecost. Sorry about the microphone. My ear must be shaped funny, so I have trouble keeping it on. The, the, uh, the life of Peter was very different in the Gospels. This was pre-filling of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was a, uh, what you call a bumbler. He was very impulsive. He was the one, you ever had anybody in class that... that Teacher asks, and the hand goes up. The first one, his hand is always the same, you know, the smartest kid in the room. Peter was that way. He just felt like he needed to give the answer right. He wanted that, he needed that affirmation from Jesus, you know, uh, to be the right one. In fact, there were times when he gave wrong answers so often that one time, finally, Jesus turns and says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, <laughs> okay, all right, sorry, Jesus. Anyway, you read that inconsistent Peter in the Gospels and then read the Peter in the book of Acts. There is no similarity. The Peter in the book of Acts is two different. Two stories in Peter's life in the book of Acts. The first is just a couple of weeks later, after the uh, Pentecost Sunday, Peter and John are walking in from their house, which was outside the city gates. They're walking into the city of Jerusalem through a particular gate, and they go past the same guy that they go past every day. This is a beggar that's sitting there. He can't walk. He, he can't see, and he struggles. And so as he senses people walking by, he just calls out, as he did every day, uh, alms for the poor, can you, can you give me something? Can you give me something, please? And so as Peter and John are coming by, same guy, same situation, but there was something different that day. They were on a new mission, and Peter was a new man. And he had, thirdly, a new power in him. He had never really test-driven this power. It's kind of like putting a... 15-year-old behind the wheel of a car, you know, to start learning how to drive. And so as they're coming along, as they walk past, Peter stops, and he turns around to the guy. And I can only imagine what John was thinking, Peter, please. Because he didn't know if Peter was a changed man or not, right? Peter, no, no, don't, don't do this. Peter goes back to the guy, and he says, you know what? I don't have any money on me but let me give you what I do have. And I can imagine John going, oh, God help us. God help us. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I imagine all of heaven waited. The guy gets up, maybe on wobbly knees at first, but then he starts walking. <laughs> he starts running. Because it had been a long time since his legs would allow him to walk. Peter declares Jesus just did that. The difference I see in Peter is the same difference that I know about my father. By the time my father was 18 years old, he was an alcoholic. The stories that my mom say, they went to the same high school together, said that your, your dad would come to high school at 8 o'clock in the morning, drunk couldn't walk up the front steps of Pensgrove High School in South Jersey. Couldn't walk up the steps because he was so drunk, his friends had to help him get into school at 8 o'clock in the morning. 
When my dad was 19 years old, he went to a, a, a camp meeting for young people. He was invited by a friend to go. He thought, his friend told him that there were pretty girls there, so he thought he'd go. And that night he met Jesus. He went forward, he gave his life to Christ that night. You would never know the Jack Eastlack I described to you just a moment ago. You would never know that about him. In fact, within a year, you would have never known of the kind of life he used to live. He told me many times that Jesus Christ made all the difference. It was a line in the sand in his life that he became who God intended for him and all of the other things were holding him back. You see, not only was the mission different that day, but people were different after that day. And you watch all through the book of Acts, read the book of Acts, such an exciting book about the early church kind of getting its sea legs under it and figuring out how to be this new, brand new church. Whether it's Philip or Nathaniel or even the Apostle Paul who, who got saved. His name was Saul and he was a, a killer of Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians and he found Jesus. And that's all in the book of Acts and the before and after picture is so wonderful and they had this power, this new ability to speak into people's lives where the hurts really were and to have a sense of what the answer was. And sometimes it might be with doctors and medicine, but you know sometimes it might be just with the power of the Spirit of Christ that is now in you and I to speak into someone's life, a new power. They also were given a new language. Now that was referenced in this passage in chapter 2, right? <clears throat> they talked about they all began to speak in other tongues. Now the Greek a word choice there is that means that they began to speak in other known languages so that all of those that were kind of nearby could hear through the open windows their particular language being spoken and praising God. They were hearing praises to God and, and people were confused until Peter then gives a wonderful sermon. Read that sermon. It's in the second part of the, the second chapter of Acts. And it was a wonderful language. I mean, it was just a language. It was a language of love. It was a language that drew people in. And I've often wondered, what kind of language does the church have today, you know? I mean, does the Holy Spirit, who resides in you as a follower of Christ, does the Holy Spirit make any difference in the way you and I talk? For some of us, it might be like my father. One of the first things that he noticed when he gave his heart to Jesus Christ was his language got cleaned up. He didn't use God's name in vain. He didn't struggle with some of the other, the common swear words. So even just that little area of, of getting his language cleaned up. But also for many of us, we found, and we're still finding, that even our language, the way that we talk to or about people, the language of gossip or slander, all of those things, the Bible says that those were your former days. Those were your former days. The Bible tells us, and we sang about it this morning, that our language is the language of love. Love and truth working together to introduce the beauty of Christ to a world that doesn't know what to make of Jesus Christ. Our world today is not a whole lot different than those trying to figure out the languages that they heard on that first Pentecost Sunday. So my challenge in my own life is regularly, what do people hear out of my mouth? when I'm outside these, these walls and back into my real world of operating? How about my joking? How about, how about any of the prejudices that can slip out if we're not careful? You see, 
One of the places that Jesus' spirit is going to make a difference is he's going to put a filter over your mouth. And what's going to come out is going to be more love, more of a sense of speaking love into people's lives and blessing people. Slander, gossip, all of these things are ways in which we tear people down, and it's for terrible reasons. We often tear people down to help make us look better or to join the crowd or whatever. But you know what? You're not just anybody now. You're a Christian. And the Spirit of Christ wants to continue to make that difference in your life, a new language. But then lastly, I noticed that there was a new community that was formed out of it. And thank God for that because I'll tell you that it is hard enough to live for Christ. I need community. I need the accountability that goes with it. I need the attaboys that come whenever I get it right. I need somebody to say, hey, way to go. You got it right. I need a place where I can experiment and ask questions and not be condemned just because I ask questions. I need a safe place where I can practice and get it wrong and practice and get it right and know that there's some people somewhere that will love me consistently no matter what. They'll love me in this journey because that's what our faith is all about. You have found a place here in Trinity Wesleyan Church. If you're visiting today for the first time here at Trinity Wesleyan, I welcome you. This is a community where we don't always get it right, but we practice and we extend a lot of grace and forgiveness because we know that there but for the grace of God go I too, you know? Until we get to heaven and all is perfect, we're going to stumble and fall and get up again. We're going to not get it right and then get it right. But this is the place to practice. And this new community that was formed, if you read about it in the, the end of chapter 2 and then also in chapter 4, you'll see that something else that they discovered about each other was that because of the persecution in the day and that little thing, that little dig about maybe they're drunk, that was just a little, you know, verbal slam. But that tells you of some of the deep-seated hatred that people had for people who were Christ followers back in that day. They were drugged in front of the religious rulers. They were imprisoned in the next, within the next five chapters. They're in, some of them are in jail just because they're a follower of Christ. But it's amazing because how you see the difference working out in their lives is they had community. It says that when the Peter and John were in jail, they were thrown in jail, that back in the house where the, where the believers were gathering, they were praying and praising God. They were celebrating. They were praying earnestly for Peter and John. Not that they would be set free, but that they would be good witnesses while they were going through their difficulties. You see, nothing was the same. at But part of that was because that they had this community. And it says that when one person was financially hurting, other people would sell some of their items in order to give some cash to somebody who was hurting. That's how much they were speaking the language of love to one another. You see, nothing was the same after the day of Pentecost. And my friend, I tell you today that nothing was the same after the day you gave your life to Christ. He's changing you and me to even in this moment. He's pro we're processing together what it means to be a Christ follower. And he's changing us day by day. The Bible says, I love this, from glory to glory. He's changing us. And we do it in the context of a community of faith that keeps us accountable and keeps us encouraged as we walk our walk with Christ. About a month ago... I was in upstate New York, one of our churches up there, and during the service, the pastor asked for, and I, I'll not give her real name, but let's say her name was Kristen, asked for Kristen to come up and share her story, her testimony. Kristen came up, 
and she was very nervous, you could tell that, but she said, she said, uh, I grew up hating my father. She said, my dad was a mean drunk. He was an alcoholic, but he was a mean alcoholic. Whenever alcohol touched his lips, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't the funny drunk or the sloppy drunk. He was the mean drunk. And he would come home late at night and he would beat my mother. And then he would look for us kids and we knew where to hide to try to run from him when he came home drunk. She goes, I hated him from when I was a little girl. Hated him. She said, four years ago, I became a Christian. And she thought, now what am I going to do with all that hate? She went to counseling. She even went to some pastor friends of hers. And they all said, well, you know, sometimes, you know, you're going to feel these feelings. But he did all kinds of bad things to you. And they were, they were beginning to justify the fact that she maybe had a little wiggle room there to feel hatred. Of course you're going to feel hatred. You, you were terribly abused by your father. No wonder you hate your dad. And she kept thinking to herself, but something's missing. Even in that council, something's missing in my life. Because at the end of the day, this hatred is eating me alive. But her counselors always told her, but wait, wait till your father finally comes around. Someday, he's bound to ask for your forgiveness. So you just wait. You have no responsibility to have a relationship with that man. You have no responsibility to have a relationship with that man. When he apologizes to you, then you can, and that was the counsel given to her. She said one night when she was talking to Jesus about it, she went to sleep with these thoughts on her mind, and again, just filled with rage and hatred, that she knew that hatred wasn't right, but she didn't know what to do about it. And in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit woke her up. And the Holy Spirit said, as soon as you can, go to your dad's house and ask him to forgive you. Well, that's something she had not heard from anybody. She argued through the night, as you know, you and I do too with the Holy Spirit sometimes. She argued with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, go and ask your father to forgive you. So the next day she calls her dad, lives a couple of three cities away from her. May I come over? And the father was just as floored as she was to hear her request. And he stumbled out an answer, say, yeah, okay, sure. She got there, and he didn't even get up out of the chair when she walked in. Didn't even get up out of the chair. Didn't even say hello to her. She went over, and she knelt in front of her father. And she took his hand, and she said at the church just a month ago, she says, when I grabbed his hand, this was three years ago, by the way, that she went to him. She goes, I grabbed his hand, and she goes, it never dawned on me how old my father had gotten. His hand was wrinkled and was aching from arthritis, and it just never dawned on her how frail. She always saw him as a mean, nasty drunk that dominated people, and she saw him as frail. You see, that was partly just the Holy Spirit softening her heart that day, softening her heart a little bit. And she looks up at her dad and threw tears in her eyes, said, Dad, I came today to ask you for something. He says, you need something for me? She says, I need your forgiveness. She goes, I've hated you since I've known you. There's nothing about you I've liked. I've hated you. When I think of you, I think rage thoughts. And I've come to ask your forgiveness for all the hatred that I pushed your way. 
he looked at her and a tear came down his cheek. He said, why are you doing this? She says, Dad, about a year ago I became a Christian. And the Holy Spirit of Christ sees things a little differently than counselors see them. And the Spirit told me to come and ask you for forgiveness, that at the very least my heart could get set free from the hatred that I felt toward you. Will you please forgive me so that I can be set free? He said, yes. But then he said those very special words that every young adult longs to hear from their parent who isn't a Christian. He said, will you tell me more about this Jesus? By the time she left later that day, she had brought her father to Jesus Christ. She stood up in church last month to tell the story because the week before that, her father had died. She says, my dad's in heaven because the Holy Spirit made all the difference in my life. My dad's in heaven. I'm going to see him. Again. I'm going to see the perfect dad in heaven. I'm going to see the cleaned up version, the dad that I wished I'd always had. You see, the day that the Spirit of Christ comes in my life, nothing's the same after that. Slowly but surely, from glory to glory, Christ is changing us. And it might not even be in the way that we expect. We don't necessarily become Mother Teresa. We become the best version that Christ has for us. Would you bow your heads this morning, please? So in the just quiet moment here as the music is playing, just to give us a sense of some background thinking of our own lives, no matter how old or young you are this morning, I can't think of a better day for someone who has never actually met Jesus yourself than on the birthday of the Church of Jesus, Pentecost Sunday, to say, Dr. Carl, I'd like to, I'd like to choose today to become a follower of this Jesus you talk about. And in a moment, I'm going to pray, and it'll be a simple prayer. I'm going to lead you in that prayer that just welcomes Christ in your life. You're going to confess that you need a Savior, that you need Jesus in your life, and you want today to begin the new day in your life through his power. And if you're ready today to welcome him in your life as the Lord and Savior of your life, what I'd like you to do before I pray the prayer out loud, no one's looking, you're going to be focused just on your own life right now, but is there anybody that would say, Dr. Carl, will you pray for me today? I'd like today to welcome Christ in my life. Just put your hand up and put it back down again, and I'll remember you in our closing prayer. Sure. That's right. Anybody else? What a day. Good, yes. Anyone else? All right. Those of you that raised your hand, would you just take this moment and pray with me this prayer? Dear God, this day... I've heard again about your love, your forgiveness, that you want to give to me a clean heart and a clean conscience. I've messed up. I'm a sinner. I've not only offended others in my sin, God, I've offended you. I violated your code in my life. 
Today I come to you humbly, asking Jesus to come and live inside my heart and life. On this day, May 23rd, 2021, I make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of my life, and I welcome your forgiveness. I welcome your cleansing power. And Holy Spirit, from this day on, help me, help me day by day to choose the best way to live through your power, not through mine. I can't do it. I tried through your power. So now I welcome you in my life as my Savior. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. My friends, those of you that just prayed that prayer this morning, it just happened. Another miracle just happened today. There were three of you that put your hands up, three of you, plus anybody else that just quietly prayed that prayer. Three of you this morning just went from darkness to light. You went from unforgiven to forgiven and clean. You went from hopeless to hope. All of the things, Jesus just made a difference in your life today on Pentecost Sunday. Remember that date. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. You're part of a community of faith. Believe me. We will not sit in judgment over you. We'll walk side by side with you as you and I journey together in the faith. May the Lord bless this church. I pray for you every morning. I sit in my office. I look out my window of my office, and this is the place that I see. You're on my mind every day. I pray not only for the Colburns as they transition in their lives to what God has for them, but I also pray for this congregation and for Pastor Christopher. God would do mighty things. The Lehigh Valley needs this church. You know that? The Lehigh Valley needs a healthy Trinity Wesleyan church. May God continue to pour into you his Holy Spirit using his power to bring about the love of Jesus to our community. Amen? That is my prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pastor Dave, why don't you come?